to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Well, we're looking at Psalms to start off our 2016. Uh, It's a good thing to do, to shape our longings and desires. This is the time of year when you start to contemplate what it is that this year will be about for me. I wonder if you've contemplated that. What is it that you are yearning for in 2016? What is it that you will throw your energy in yourself, your gifts, your talent, your money, the person that you are after? I've just turned 30, and I feel like that question is more important for me this year than it has been for a while. How, will it, how is it that I will throw my life after something actually important and lasting and significant? That is our longing, isn't it? That the work we do tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday would be dripping with divine significance, would be dripping with the things of God, that they wouldn't just be fleeting, worrisome, difficult hours, but deeply world-transforming ones. At this time of year, I look at people and the way they understood their lives, people whose purpose did drip with that glory to inspire me. Have a look at William Wilberforce, the great politician of England. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the abolition of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Isn't that great? He was of the upper class in England, and he threw 20, 30, 40 years of his life after the abolition of slavery and after the reformation of the manners of the upper classes. He lived a life dripping with the glory of God in the everyday. How about Johann Sebastian Bach speaking of his life? Music's only purpose should be the glory of God and the recreation of the human spirit. I think that's what we long for, isn't it? How do we go after that in 2016? How do we throw ourselves after the things of God? I think Psalm 63 demonstrates to us that to live a life like this, our hunger for the glory of God must grow. What you see in Psalm 63 is a slice of the heart of David. And we learn at the beginning of Psalm 63 in the header that this was when he was in the desert of Judah. In verse 11, it says it's about the time when he was king as well. We assume that this psalm was actually penned when David had to flee his capital where his throne rods in Jerusalem because his son Absalom was seeking his life and sought to take his throne and his power and his glory and everything he had from him. This is a psalm, a poem written on the run. And in it, you see, open to us, a hunger for God beneath the life that David sought. So I want to look at three things as we navigate through this. Um, First, we're going to say, uh, why do we hunger, from verse 1? Then we're going to think about how we feast. And then we're going to think about what habits we need 
what eating habits we need in 2016. But first of all, why do we hunger? This psalm opens with a remarkable image of the desert. I was reflecting today that Australia is mainly desert, and I haven't actually seen desert in Australia. Um, But the image is clear. In a dry and weary land, you can see the palm trees drooping. You can feel the scorching heat of the sun. You can feel the oppression of the circumstances that strip away the ordinariness of everyday life and push you to the most essential things. Where there is no water, you feel the parched tongue in your mouth and the cracking of your lips. David is in the desert. And what the desert does is strip away all the unnecessary, which is a lot when you're a king and you have an entourage and a kingdom and wealth and power. But in the desert, pursued by his son, with his throne on the line, with the promises God gave him on the line, it is not water or power or chariots or army or wealth or prestige that David longs for. He thirsts for God. In the midst of this pursuit, from the most powerful man in Israel, the only thing that he needs is God. And all of his soul thirsts for it. But how are we to understand this? What is this thirsting? What are souls thirst? Two things to think about as we look at this. Doesn't it so intensify what we're talking about to hear a soul thirsting? to hear a body longing. What is this about? It's interesting because in this poem and in the rest of the scriptures of Israel, the word for soul is also the word for your neck. And your neck is the thing that sucks in the nutrients, right? Without your neck, there's no water to your stomach, there's no nutrients, there's no food. Your neck is your needy part. It is the thing with which you take in everything else. And what happens across the the Jewish Bible is the word for neck kind of migrates in meaning. It grows in meaning. And it doesn't just mean the physical neediness of man, but the neediness of man to his very bones, to his very core. You see, the neck reveals what we are as creatures. Incomplete needy, hungry, and thirsty. To be a creature like us is to live a borrowed life. We need things from without to sustain us, food and drink. And in the desert, what David realizes is what he needs above all else. The thirsting of his being is for the God who made him. That it is with God that his incompleteness is made whole. That though empty, he can be filled with what God gives. That is what you are. A needy, insatiable creature. Thirsting. But what I think is interesting here, and this is the second thing to notice, is that David is someone who knows God well. 
You'd think that maybe the person thirsting for God would be the person who's never met God, who knows nothing about him. And that might be true. That might be true of you. You might have walked in here and not know much about God and want to know him, and that's fantastic. But David knows God. He says it in verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. The king of Israel knows God like no one else in Israel. And yet he is the one who thirsts the most. You see, a thirst for God grows out of tasting the goodness and glory of God. The thirst that that David feels is that of the, the separation that comes between two ones who love each other. You know when you get habituated to a person who's always by your side and you walk with them through a series of life and then they move away and all of a sudden there's this pain, this aching for them because they were there and now they're not. Your closeness to them brings a thirst for their presence. That's what David is experiencing here. He knows God. And in God's absence, he longs and aches for him in his very gut. The question this brings up for us is how will we grow our hunger of God? Because it is something that grows in us. Here's what Miroslav Volf, a Harvard theologian, says. Every act of knowing God both satisfies and engenders human curiosity. Every encounter both quenches and deepens human thirst. In the infinite being of God, the incessant movement of the human spirit begins to arrive at its final rest. Every time you taste a little more of God, your thirst and your hunger grows, and that is what you were made for. The insatiable core of your being is made to know the infinite perfection of the living God. And every time your lens widens, Every time your vision grows deeper, your thirst kicks up. And in the moment when you feel him absent, your gut thirsts and longs. In 2016, how will you grow your hunger for God? So we've seen a little bit of our hunger, what we are as creatures. But how is it that we feast? How is it that we taste? How is it that this hunger can grow in us? And for that, you can see in kind of verses 2 to 5, a shift in the poem. David starts looking backward now in verse 2 to a past experience of God. Notice through verses 2 to 5 how many sensing words there are. I've seen you, verse 2. I've beheld you. Uh, My lips glorify you. Uh, uh, In your name I'll lift up my hands, my singing lips, the richest of foods. It's this deeply kind of sensual, sensing experience of God that is being named here. David, the king of Israel, was able to enter into the temple, not the temple, the, the tent where God dwelt. The temple wasn't built yet. And there he was able to behold God as he was. And there he picked up his harp and began to sing for the people of Israel to lead them in worship of their God. And what you see described here is his experience of that. Isn't that amazing? 
You're seeing his experience of both beholding God's power and then leading God's people in worship. And for him, it's this deeply tactile experience. It's like the atmosphere is so thick that you can taste it. That in that moment, there's a palpable sense of God's glory and power and majesty and perfection and love that fills up his soul. You see, you'd expect him to say in verse 2 that I have heard of your power and glory. But he says, I have seen it. There's a deeper apprehension of who God is. And from that apprehension grows a savoring of it. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. In your, hands I will, in your name, I'll lift up my hands. It's almost like his delighting in the glory of God helps him to taste it, to ring it round in his mouth, to sense it with the deepness of his soul. And as he savors that glory, it begins to fill and enliven him. It's an incredible picture of experiencing the glory of God. So amazing is it that he is able to say that your love is better than life. That's maybe too far, don't you think? But remember, he's on the run from his son who wants him dead and wants his throne. He has all the power and the wealth in the world. And nothing can secure his life in this moment except the love of his God. The love of God for him is the only thing that he is thirsting for. You notice at the end what this experience leaves him at. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. I wonder if you can think of the richest food you've ever eaten. When I was in French Canada a few years ago, I went to this French restaurant that was quite fancy. But what they mainly did was make, get tripe and put it in things, right? And so I thought, I should do this. And so I had a tripe burger, which is as gross as it sounds. <laughs> and I thought I was going to die. Because <laughs> every mouthful of this thing felt big enough to fill up my stomach. And I had to do it again and again and again. And I don't think I ate for most of the next day. Um, that's, the, that's the imagery here. The richest of foods. David knows about rich food. He's a king. He gets the finest imported, uh, imported foods from all the regions around him. And he says this experience of beholding the glory of God, of savoring it in song, is like being filled up with the richest of foods. Our thirst is quenched when we savor the power and the glory of God and we, when we see that his love is better and more powerful than anything else we own or could have. That is when the human soul is filled up for a moment. And then it starts to thirst again. How do you feast on God? How do you feast for your thirsting, hungry soul? Seek to deeply savor the glory of God by being here. But how do we do this? Practically, what does David do about this? How is it that he both 
feeds himself and increases his thirst and his hunger. And I think you see that in verses 6 to 8, his eating habits. Because verses 2 to 5 are kind of a reflection on what is past. And 6 to 8, you're taken back into the moment. And there you see David on his bed. I think I'd be sleepless if my son was trying to kill me. I don't know about you. He says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. As David sits sleepless on his bed, he draws on his knowledge of the power and the glory and the love of God he has seen in the past and remembers it. Now, the word is for remember is a kind of a murmuring to speak under your breath over and over again, to verbalize the thing in your head again and again in a verbal kind of meditation. As he sits there sleepless, he gives his heart courage by telling himself again that the love of God is better than life and that the power of God dwells in Jerusalem. And that is the God who has promised to deliver him. Maybe it's that that gives him the confidence to say in verse 9 that those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths. They'll be given over to the sword. It's his remembering, his murmuring. His feeding of his, of his heart and his soul with the truths he has seen that enables and strengthens and quenches and deepens his thirst. But it's not just that remembering, that murmuring. But there's also a, a deep clinging here, a kind of a remarkable intimacy. As he sang in the sanctuary, so David continues to sing, probably on his harp, again in, on his bed. He says, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Isn't that a beautiful image? The maternal picture of uh, a bird's feathers wrapped around its young. He says, my soul clings to you. My soul is glued to you. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were afraid? Do you remember what you did? I used to run to my parents. Or the nearest responsible person who liked me. Ever wondered why you ran to your parents? I think there's actually two reasons. One was for protection, yeah. I think that's true. But I think when we were afraid when we were young... We ran just to be close to the one we knew loved us. Just to be in their presence. Sure, that was the moment of protection from the thing, but it was the warmth of the intimacy that we sought as well. And I think that's what you see David explaining here. His clinging is a sticking close, an intimacy, a drawing near, a seeking of the face of the one he knows loves him and whose love is better than life. And it's in the seeking of that intimacy, that gluing of his soul to his God, that deepens and grows his, his thirst and longing for him as well. They're the kind of, this, I think this whole psalm drips with a habitualness about David. And here you see it most clearest. He remembers and he clings. They're two things that you can take into 2016 that can both quench and deepen your thirst and your connection to God. But the problem with all this 
is that we know how hard it is. And verse 11 reminds us that this psalm actually is a lot more about David than it is about us. And we'll draw it to a close as we think about this. But David says, The king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by God's name will praise him. That verse uh, addresses the situation. Absalom is seeking the kingship of David. There is an intense rivalry between two kings. And the end of the psalm summons us to acknowledge the true king, to swear by God's name and praise him, praise God's king. Because it is God's king, David, who had this type of access to God. It is God's king who is able to cling and murmur and remember and behold the power and glory of God and trust that his love is better than life. And where David failed at this, our Lord Jesus endured. When Jesus was in the desert, when all of his power was stripped and it was him alone, He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in the moments when we are anxious and we refuse to cling, he clung. And in the moments where we forget the glory of God, he murmured it till his bones felt it. And he hungered and thirsted for God to the very cross. Bearing all of our broken, clinging, forgetfulness the way we willfully forget our thirst for God. He traded his place so we might enjoy his intimacy. He dies so that we can see the glory of God. He dies so that we can have a father. And it is when we see his glory when we see his power, when we see that his love is better than life, when his love can fill our thirst, when his love can raise us from our grave, it's the extent that we drink in his glory that our thirst for God can grow. Fill up your soul with the glory of Christ. And that is how your 2016, how your work life, how your relational life will begin to drip with God's glory. How will you grow your hunger this year? Rejoice in God's Son. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize our longing for you, but our weariness in drawing close. And we're thankful for Jesus, the real king. And we acknowledge that there are so many rivalries in our heart to acknowledging him. Father, we are incomplete. We are empty, in need of wholeness. Fill up our hearts with the glory of of Christ. Grow our thirst and our hunger. Help us save you 
cling to you and remember you with all we are and all we do. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.